Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. Welcome, everybody. Uh, is this anybody's first time <clears throat> here? Would you just raise your hand if it's your first time here? Welcome, you guys. So happy that you came. <clears throat> you either are being a good friend <laughs> or you don't know anything about our church. <laughs> I talk to people and they're like, my friends will never come back to that church after that gathering. Oh my gosh. So you guys are brave. Um, I have so much that is on my heart tonight. And, um, well, you know, for those of you who don't know, as a pastor, you go into Easter, you get kind of ramped up for Easter and it's a big church holiday. Every kind of church has a decision to make when they're planted. Are they going to be like a Christmas church or an Easter church? Are you going to, it's Christmas Eve when you're going to really go big or, or Easter? And we just kind of treat every Sunday as though it was Resurrection Sunday. Um, we, uh, we treat every Sunday as if it was the incarnation was, was more real than it's ever been before. Um, but it's, it's a kind of a, a big Sunday that you think about. You can't not think about it. You think about that Sunday for the weeks leading up to it. And uh, normally the Sunday after, I'm like, man, what am I going to teach them? What do I have to offer? But um, I just have so much that I want to share. I have, word, I, have, I have feelings and thoughts that I don't know if I even have words for yet. So would you guys pray with me? And uh, we'll jump into things. Father, we just come together as your children before you and just say, speak, your servants are listening. We, we're, we wanna be so attentive to you, God. We, we put our phones away, we put distraction away, even the things that maybe have been on our mind over this week. And unless they're things you're addressing, God, we won't, don't wanna have anything to do with them. We just wanna come before you and make ourselves fully available to you. And, and God, specifically and even selfishly for me, I pray that you would transform me through this message, that you would so put your hand on me uh, this evening, God, that, that my life is just forever changed through what we look at in your word this evening. In your name, everybody said, amen. amen. It was about five or six years ago that I had this experience where I felt like I got saved again. Um, the, the first time I, I really was, in Christian language, was born again, where I went from not living a life in Christ to living a life in Christ, I was 17 years old. Uh, some of you guys know who've been around the church for a while, I grew up in this amazing Christian home um, with great examples. It wasn't cheesy, it wasn't fake, it was really faith, it was the real thing. And yet I had kind of pushed that off, I didn't want anything to do with it for, for years. And um, when, when I was 17, I had this really difficult um, year as a junior in high school, and I'm sure many of you guys have probably had similar years, whether they were in middle school or high school, but I had this really difficult year. And it left me at the end of that year going, who am I going to be? What am I going to be about? And I began to search. Long story short, I felt like God really encountered me, radically changed my life. I, I started going to a church that I had radical faith put on display before me, and it, it, I'm forever changed. 
But, but over time, I, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I think it's part of I, be, being a young adult and, and growing up and trying to figure out who I was as a Christian. I was talked out of the very raw and real faith that I had as a 17, 18, 19-year-old. And I began to normalize it, even spiritualize it. I remember, I, I, I forget this guy's name, so hopefully the Lord has done a work in his life and helped him forget what I told him. But I remember this guy came up to me when I was a young adult pastor uh, down in Portland, and he said he was so on fire for the Lord, new believer, and he's like, he's like, how come you're not more on fire? And I just looked at him and said, oh, just wait. And, and, and I had just talked myself into this place of, of faithlessness, but I knew, I knew I was increasing in my knowledge about God, but my heart knowledge was decreasing. And, until about five years ago, um, I, was, I, I met Andoni. I had been friends with Jake for a number of years at this point, and my life was radically changed. You know, we were, we're, we're talking about testimonies up here and, and how testimonies are important to our family. They're not just important. They're the, they're the life that we live on, essentially, remembering what God has done. And so as we were, we were singing that song, you know, fire and wind, do it again. I'm thinking back to this time period in my life where the Lord so grabbed a hold of me and he reignited something and he, 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 he shifted my life. It was like a reformation of the heart, a reformation of the mind and the way that I, I thought about God. And incredible fruit came from it. I, I, I truly mean this. This church would not exist without this time in my life. I was just talking with Danielle and Davis, wherever you guys are at up there. I was talking with Danielle and Davis just a couple days ago. They just moved from Colorado back here um, and are part of the church. And, and, and I was talking about this time period before the Reformation. They're like, so where did Saints Hill come from? I'm like, well, I met Andoni and my life forever changed because of some of the things that he ushered me into. And just incredible stuff. But in this time period of really coming back to, to not just head knowledge, but true faith, trust in God's character, tr confidence in his ability. I began to challenge myself. Not only did I, did I pray for more faith, God, give me more faith. I want to trust you more. Uh, but I began to challenge myself and, and actually risk in faith. Uh, I, I would pray for random people's healing, just that I would walk, I'd be walking around, I'd see somebody with some kind of crutch or whatever, and just say, I'd made a commitment in my heart that I, I believed God could heal. That's where my faith was at, and so I'd pray for them. And uh, I remember there was a whole year of my life where every day I asked the Lord uh, to give me a word of knowledge, a, a, a piece of knowledge, if you're like, what is that? A piece of knowledge about a stranger that I couldn't have known without the Holy Spirit. And I had some really awkward conversations, um, and I had some really amazing conversations. I remember this one time, I um, used to belong to this rock climbing gym downtown, and, and uh, it was a very cool spot, lots of cool people doing cool stuff on rock walls, and I, I, there was this gal who was working at the front desk, and I remember I was open to the Lord, but I remember being like, can I just rock climb? Is that cool with you if I just kind of rock climb here, if I don't have to be like the vessel of the Lord wherever I go? And um, I remember I walked in and I saw this gal and the Lord said, he did, he's like, I'm not gonna give you a word for her. You just need to go and tell her that you have a word for her. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and so I didn't. I totally went about my, I did my workout. And then later I, I thought, okay, after my workout, I'll get, I got rid of all this stress from the day, then I'll go talk to her, Lord. And as I left, she was gone. So I felt like, oh, did I miss an opportunity? Well, a couple days later, I come back, and she's at the front desk, and I'm like, okay, I have to do this. And so I walk up to her, and I'm like, hey, um, I have something to tell you. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I went off the cliff just believing that I was going to land and be okay. And um, all of a sudden, the Lord highlights this tattoo on her arm, and I basically like interpret this tattoo for her and tell her what God thinks about her. And she is just a complete mess. The Lord totally met her. Just some really beautiful stuff. But I was just so pursuing of like... And I, the only, I don't say that because it's like, oh, that's so amazing. I say that uh, because I, I was so desirous to see the things that I had read about in the scriptures, to see the things that I had read about in these different people's lives, these different revivalists. It was this glorious season, but eventually that season changed. And it, it changed from this focus on increasing in faith to, to planting this church. That was just right before we planted the church. And um, we, we put our focus here. But, but this past week, I feel the season shifting again back to a time like that, um, for me personally. I think it could be for us, but I, I feel the wind shifting a little bit and a new focus on the increase of faith in our church, the increase of trusting God for more, of believing that he can do, and, and, and even just launching off the cliff, if that's what it means, but just risking a little bit more in faith. See, the scriptures teach that faith is a gift. It's something that's given from God to people to be able to believe in him. Nobody comes to God without faith. It takes faith to believe that he exists. It takes faith to believe that the, this, this crucified uh, Nazarite was actually the Messiah of the world, the cosmic savior. And, um, but, but also, faith is not just a gift. It's something that we can grow because faith is a fruit. When the fruit of the spirit are listed out, uh, faith is among them. Belief in God is among them. So, so what I'm trying to say is this, is that there are some things that are freely given by God. They're just given to us. And then the question becomes, where will you go from there with what you've been given? If you're here and you're a believer, you have faith. What will you do to increase it? What will you do to grow the fruit? See, when I think about faith, I think about people who had incredible faith, and I think about the direct correlation to the fact that they saw God do incredible things. I think about George Mueller. I don't know if any of you guys know who that was, but in the 1800s, he ran an orphanage in England, and he made a commitment to never ask a person for money to run the orphanage. And he had just incredible stories of God's provision, literally praying for specific things, and then he would have another column next to it to write the answer down of when the answer came, because he was so expectant of God providing. And, and I just have this desire again in my heart to grow in my faith. It's sort of like, wow, my faith got me here, but I want to increase my confidence in you again. My confidence in what you can do, my confidence in what you will do. So the question that, that I have in, in my mind right now is how do we grow in faith? How do you actually practically grow in faith? In Romans chapter 10, Paul says this. He says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. Let's break this down just a little bit, because I think this is really important. What Paul is saying is that I get faith, my confidence in God increases when I hear from him. You know this is true, right? Have you ever been scared about an issue? You hear from God, the fear goes away. You ever been like tense in the heart? You can't even put words to it, but you get into his presence, next thing the fear goes away. 
It's through close relationship, it's through listening, it's through hearing God on a daily basis that actually produces faith in us. My confidence is increased in him the more that I see him, period. But how do I increase in hearing him? Because I have these conversations with you guys all the time. Most of my conversations with you uh, kind of circle around this idea. Okay, you guys talk about hearing from God. You even share words from God. How do you hear from God? How do you actually hear from him? Well, what does Paul say? Faith comes from hearing, okay? Hearing comes from the word of God. What has been written in the scriptures? This. How do you hear you get familiar with the Bible? Paul was certainly referring to the Old Testament, but I think you could also apply this to the New Testament. My ability to hear from God is related to my familiarity with what he's already said. So if you want to hear from him, you have to spend time in his word. You have to begin to recognize what he said, what he sounds like. This past week, as I, I, I just been any time I get a chance, I've been playing First uh, John. I'll just go to, to my, my app, my Bible app on here, and I'll just press play on First John and just listen to it. I've been in the car just listening to First John. I'm in the shower, I'm listening to First John just over and over. It doesn't really matter what it is, but it's like I want to get familiar with your voice because faith comes by hearing. If I'm going to hear, I got to get familiar with your word so that I know that I've heard from you. I know what you're like. I, I'm sensing you, the real thing in my life. Regardless of circumstance, I know I've heard from you. And, and what I want to show you tonight is that this increase in hearing and the increase then in trust is not for you only. It's not just for your comfort, but it is the very thing that turns you into a change agent, a supernatural person among the natural people of our world, a drop of color into a world that is gray. This is exactly what Paul was in his world. Go ahead and turn on your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27 is where we're going to be this evening. Now, just to bring you up to speed, remember Paul, he's a church planter. He's been working uh, his way up in audience, so to speak, from the Roman council in Jerusalem. He goes from, from Jerusalem, he goes then to Caesarea. He speaks to the governors of the entire region, Felix and then Festus. He even shared the gospel and his own testimony with King Herod uh, Agrippa. So he's working his way up. And Finally, finally, his time has come and he gets what he's been asking for. He's put on a ship to Rome. He's put on a ship to Italy. Paul and uh, some of the other people um, in his entourage, his friends, as well as a host of prisoners, board a ship headed for Italy and instantly they have poor weather conditions. Imagine this, they're, they're in the first stages of this journey. So here's a map of the Mediterranean. So they're starting out all the way down in this lower corner right here. That's where Caesarea is, that's Israel. And they have to sail all the way up to the boot, <laughs> all the way up to Italy. And that's this, this journey that's gonna take them months to make. Well, instantly, the Mediterranean is, is known for its kind of uh, foul weather. They run into bad weather, and Paul warns them. He says, we should winter in a safe port. We shouldn't continue this journey. Let's just go winter in a safe port. But the centurion, the guy who's in charge of the whole ship, he's like, no, 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 we're going to press on. So sure enough, they run into a storm. They have to throw their food and supplies overboard to keep the ship afloat. And here is what happens next. Verse 21. 
After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. <laughs> then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, skip down to verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense. You've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged, note that, and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. So they eat, Paul encourages them, and then sure enough, the ship is gonna run aground, it's totally wrecked, but that's just where the story begins for this crew. Here's how the story continues and eventually ends, verse 42. So after running aground, the ship is totally wrecked. Here's what happens, verse 42. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Paul, he's a prophet and he's right. Verse one of chapter 28. Once safely ashore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built us a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and, out, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. Verse five, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Verse seven, there was an estate near, nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was ill in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of those on the island who were ill came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. This is just an incredible story, but would you expect anything less from Paul, right? <laughs> it's like the prisoner becomes the leader. No, I have a word. We are not going to perish. None of you guys are going to perish. Eat food now. Throw the grain out. We're going to be just fine. 
The prisoner is honored in many ways. It's like, who's the guy who runs this island? Yeah, he wants to have you over, and he's going to just honor you for three days with food and luxury. As a prisoner, the prisoner is, in a word, supernatural. Has abilities that no one else has. And I want to put forth this evening that when you have the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead alive in you, your faith becomes the roads people without faith travel into the kingdom of God. The increase in your faith is not just for you. The resurrection must be made visible. It must be made visible. And and when you, like Paul, are connected with God, remember, it's by hearing connection with God that faith increases for the impossible. When you, like Paul, are in that kind of relationship, your life, your very presence becomes a fork in the road for people you encounter. They either go the way that you've gone or they go the opposite direction. What Paul shows us is that if you have faith, if you're hearing his voice because you're familiar with his words, the kingdom advances through you regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the storm that you've been going through. It's it's not a random thing that Paul has this ability. It's just that God's voice in your life makes you concerned with more than just survival. More than survival. See, surviving doesn't seem to be a motivation for Paul. He's not that concerned about survival, is he? See, we were not designed as believers, as supernatural people with an answer for death, to simply survive. (laughs) If you look at your life and you're like, I'm just making it, let me argue you were made for more. Let me argue that you actually have the capacity for more. We were designed for overflow. When we click into survival, what we've allowed is we've allowed for lack to become bigger than God's voice in our lives. So rather than feeding ourselves on the thing that would build our faith for the future, we feed ourselves on worrying about a future without God, a future without provision. Lack, survival, how am I gonna just survive this? See, let me tell you this. When I travel, it looks a little bit different than how Paul traveled. (laughs) I was thinking about like, when I'm on a plane, a nice, comfy, cushy plane, I'm in survival mode way more than this guy was in a shipwreck in the middle of the Mediterranean winter. (laughs) Like, when I'm on a plane, I've got my eye mask. Can't live without the eye mask. I've got my water, normally a very, very large water bottle. I've got my chapstick, I've got lotion, I've got hand sanitizer. I am like fully outfitted and I have to get into my spot and I I make sure that everything is like within reach, right? Because you never know what I'm gonna need on the plane. You know what I'm not thinking about? It's essentially battle, it's essentially war. Flying for me is war. What I'm not thinking about is encouraging the people around me. (laughs) No, I know that maybe you had a pastor one time who was, he's a better person than me, she's a better person than me, I get it. But I'm not thinking about that. I'm like, how do I just survive this metal bullet shooting through space, just slowly sucking every ounce of water out of my body? Like, how do I survive it? I'm not really considering how I serve people around me. Uh, No. And that's on a nice, comfy plane. (laughs) And here's Paul, 
and he's in what many would consider the worst situation possible. He's on a trip that if the storm doesn't kill you, the guards will. <laughs> it's like either way, this trip is ending in death for you, buddy, right? And he puts on display what a person who overflows looks like. See, the question that everyone is faced with when they take a hit in life, whether it's discomfort, whether it's actual loss, the question is this, does the circumstance get a say in what I have to offer? Does the circumstance I'm in get a say in what I have to offer? A focus on survival as Christians, let me just be honest, and this is, like I said, I prayed this at the beginning, okay? This message is for me. <laughs> as Christians, a focus on survival says that we're just like everybody else without any sort of benefit or resource from heaven. Death is still our greatest fear. Self-preservation, what is it? Death is still my favorite, my, my, my greatest fear. But we're, we're people like Paul who don't need to be afraid of death. Uh, whoever wrote Hebrews, who knows? Whoever wrote Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter two that Jesus came to not only free us in the age to come, but to set us free from slavery. Slavery to what? You're like slavery to sin. Well, he doesn't say that in Hebrews chapter two. What it says is to set us free from the slavery of being afraid of death. So if you fear death, which, by the way, it's one of my greatest fears. If you fear death, if I fear death, I am not taking advantage of the freedom that Christ has purchased for me. I'm not walking in what he wanted for my life. You ask, what's God's will for my life? And normally by that we mean, who do you want me to marry and where are they? Um, <laughs> what, what's God's will for my life? Here's his will for your life. It's to not be afraid of death and to be a supernatural person that is a fork in the road and everybody who meets you has to make a decision. Nothing will make you stand out more if you're not afraid of death. See, I think what we're seeing with COVID, I haven't really talked much about COVID, but I think I'm ready to. What we're seeing with COVID is a culture who doesn't believe in purpose, a culture that doesn't believe in final judgment, a culture that doesn't believe in God and doesn't believe in grace or the afterlife, we're seeing that culture grapple with the possibility of this existence ending. And our culture is waking up to the fact that life is fragile. And so people are going crazy. They are extending themselves beyond what is reasonable to protect their lives because of potentially losing the thing that they hold dearest simply existing. It's driven people to madness, but it shouldn't drive Christians to madness. Look, I'm not trying to like shame anybody. Like if you're afraid of COVID, like just wake, stop it. Like maybe stop it. But like if you're afraid of COVID, no, seriously, seriously, seriously. We need to be, as Christians, we have an answer to death. And so for, for many of us, We've lived the past year as though we didn't. I have lived the past year as though I didn't have an answer to it. I have allowed the culture's voice 
to give me faith in what the culture has faith in, which is self-preservation. And I have not allowed the voice of God to fill me with faith so that I walk as a supernatural person, not afraid to die, not in slavery to fear. Let the Lord convict you where he wants to. This is a lesson from one of the greatest revivalists ever, Jonathan Wesley. This is what he learned, just the incredible nature of these people he encountered on this boat as he was crossing the Atlantic, and they were going through their own storm, through their own shipwreck scenario. He encountered these people called the Moravians, and they taught him this very lesson. Here's, what he, here's how he, he, he says it happened. He says, there was now an opportunity of trying whether they were delivered from the spirit of fear. That's, that's what he called the, the, sh- the, the storm. This is just an opportunity of seeing whether you've really been delivered from the spirit of fear. As well as from that of pride, anger, and revenge. In the midst of the psalm, wherewith their service began, he's speaking of the Moravians here, this group of people on this ship, the sea broke over, split the main sail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. Next slide. A terrible screaming began among the English. That's his crew, Jonathan Wesley's crew. The Germans, the Moravians, calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, was you not afraid? He's got some good grammar there. He, he, he answered, <laughs> and this guy apparently was Yoda, I thank God no. <laughs> I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, no. Our women and children are not afraid to die. From them, I went to their crying, trembling neighbors and pointed out to them the difference in the hour of trial between him that feareth God and him that feareth him not. At 12, the wind fell. This was the most glorious day which I have hitherto seen. There was an opportunity to see if they were delivered from the spirit of fear. And you will have these opportunities as well in your life to see if you are delivered from the spirit of fear. Look, all people face difficulty. Um, We've at times been accused of preaching a prosperity-esque gospel here, focusing on the goodness of God. But we do not preach a version of the gospel that says all things go easy for people who are in Christ. It's just not true. We preach a message that in the midst of a storm, you will have an answer. Maybe not a reason why you're going through what you're going through, but you will have a person. I believe this is why our faith must increase. It must reflect that we have an answer. It must look like those people have a person. I may not like their person, I may not follow their person, but they have a person. See, the the truth is this, is that I cannot hype myself into faith. It doesn't work that way. I can't I'm going to get faith. Or this song's my favorite. I'm going to get so much faith in this song. It doesn't, faith doesn't work like that. Faith happens when you position yourself through surrender to encounter the faithful one. It grows through surrender instead of hype. And and, and this is what Paul did for everyone on board of this ship. (laughs) And this shipwreck is he put on display what intimacy with God himself looks like practically. He also put on display, when you have thoughts from the future, 
you have an answer for the present. When you have thoughts from the future, you have an answer for the present. Flip back over to verse 22 of chapter 27. He says this, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. They're like, Where did this, how does this guy know this stuff? Well, verse 23, last night an angel of the God who, to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. When you know what God thinks, what he decrees for the future, your view of life's issues and circumstances is radically changed. It's just totally different when you have a word. See, in a time of lack, Paul's an encourager. How? How could the, how could the prisoner uh, be the one who is putting courage into people? It's not the captain who's like, hey, I've been in a lot of storms before. We're going to be just fine. It's not the centurion who's like, yeah, he's right. I've been there with some of, on some of those storms. No. It's neither of them, because in times of panic, those who are in control will often step on others in order to preserve self. So they're like, we should kill these guys before they escape, because we're going to, you know, <laughs> Caesar's going to be upset with us. But Paul wasn't carrying a message of control or self-preservation, but a life yielded to the life giver himself. See, th the truth is this. You can't encourage unless you've been encouraged. If you ever ask yourself, Sometimes I've, hear, I've heard these messages and I don't know if, maybe I've even preached these messages before where you essentially go, hey church, why don't you just be the church? Why don't you guys do justice and like love people more? What's wrong with you? <laughs> I've been in church services like that. I'm like, I don't know. There must be a lot wrong with me. Um, well, it's just not, that's just not the way that life in the kingdom works. Whatever's in you flows out of you. So if you see things flowing out of you, you have reason to question if you, if you see things flowing out of you that you don't like, you have reason to question what you've been putting in you. So Paul had a dream. Paul had an angelic visitation. And so his faith was increased by what he heard and what he sensed from God, right? He actually had something to offer because he's in, he encountered surplus himself. So he actually, in the middle of the storm, had a surplus, but I want to wake you up to the idea that, that the voice of God can look different. It can sound different. It can be different. I just want to propose this to you. You're like, I never hear thoughts. I never hear words. I've never heard audibly. Well, that's okay. God himself is the word of God. Jesus is called the Logos, right? So could it be that his very presence is speech? If he's the Logos and he walks in the room, do you know what he's doing? He's wording. He's speaking. So maybe it was that you didn't hear something from him, but you sensed him, and the sensing him was him speaking to you. See, I don't know about you, but I've, I've experienced this in times of worship or in times of silence. I've come into this room. This happened today. I've come into this room with all sorts of issues in here. Sometimes, sometimes there's like one issue, you're like, that's my issue. I got this one issue, I know what the issue is. Sometimes you're like, I have a hundred different issues and I don't even know how they interrelate. And it, it, when I try to pull on one thread, it just keeps on pulling and pulling and pulling. It's not connected to anything else. Just like, what, I got all these issues. And I'll come into a place of worship. I'll come around a group of people who have chosen to host him, who've said, I'm putting everything else aside. I just wanna, I wanna meet with you. 
And there were no words spoken to me about any of my issues. There was just a sense of settledness and confidence that I leave with because I've encountered the word himself. See, he's the word and I heard from him, but it wasn't a message to my intellect. It was a message to my soul and to my body. I heard a pastor recently say that really inspired me is that he said we often measure God's voice in our life by what we understand, not by who's in the room. So we often are measuring, did God speak to me by what I comprehended, not by what I sensed? What I'm saying is this, is that if you've ever sensed God in your life, he's spoken to you. He's probably spoken to things deeper than you've ever been able to even bring up into your consciousness to actually work through it on, on an intellectual level. One of the things that we say on our staff is he just squares us away. It's like you come in. I was, Hannah was saying this the other day in staff meeting. She was talking about a friend of hers who just came in and just got squared up. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that happens. You just come into an environment where he's in the room. It's one of the reasons why it's one of our most important values is we have the privilege of hosting the Father's presence. You come into the room and next thing you know, you're okay. It's like, wow, how did that happen? I was going through all this stuff. <laughs> And I just got into his presence and next thing I knew, I had the Prince of Peace himself. See, God doesn't need to ask permission from your understanding before he speaks to something deep within you. And so if you constantly hold God at, I will only do what I understand, I can only experience what I can understand, then you will put him at such an arm's length that you may not encounter him. Because <laughs> he might be able, trying to get to things deeper than you even realize. See, it's the joy of a focus on his presence. That's what gives you the word that no matter your circumstance, you have a word from the future. You know that things are gonna be okay. You have a word. You have him, you have him in his presence, himself in your life. No matter what life throws at you, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, there's settledness there. I think this is Paul. Paul lastly shows us that our faith must look like something. It has to look like something. There has to be some kind of physical expression of our faith. And I'm not suggesting that we start handling snakes around here. I know, I know some of you, you'd be pretty excited about that. I know, I know. But from the moment Paul shakes the snake off of his hand, he begins to demonstrate in a physical way great power. And I love the language. I think this language is purposeful. Look back over to uh, chapter 28, verse five. Here's what it says. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. He just shakes the snake off. Now, I don't know about you. I, my mind instantly goes to Genesis. <laughs> this has got to be a nod to Genesis. Remember the serpent? Remember uh, the serpent was going to be crushed his head was gonna be crushed by that offspring, that son of man who would come and do what Adam and Eve didn't do, right? And, and, and here the serpent's bite no longer wounds because the head had been crushed by the Messiah. Just shakes the snake off. And I love this idea. So, for, there's a lot of theology out there that says there's like an angel on one shoulder, a devil on the other shoulder. You have this Christian yin and yang within you, this tension between light and dark. Do you know what this says? It's, no, 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 the serpent can be shaken off. It's no big deal. Shaken off into the fire. 
Think about the imagery of that. Jesus is like, yeah, there's a burning lake of fire. There is a real hell. Some people will go there. And Paul's like, and I'm shaking the enemy off into it. What he is doing is he is putting on display resurrection power. His faith has insulated him from things that would affect normal people. Don't know how it works, but it's the truth. From this point, here's what happens. They think he's a god. They're like, he must be a god. <laughs> he heals an official's father, and any of the sick people on the island come to him, and they all get healed. That sounds like somebody that I've read about before. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> See, here's what I think Paul understood. We're supposed to look like Christ. We're supposed to look like Jesus. There's this theology that goes essentially something like this. Jesus is somebody to be followed, but don't try to emulate. He's somebody to follow his teachings. He's gonna give you very good moral guidance and instruction on what to do in different situations, but you're not gonna do what he did. Hmm. Paul seemed to believe that he would do what Jesus did. I will never forget, I, I gave a, a lecture one time at a school, and afterwards there was this Q&A, and I was asked, just what does it mean to follow Jesus? And I said, Jesus sets the bar for what every human is intended to experience. And you would have thought that I had said, like, you know, something heretical. <gasps> well, I don't know, Jesus said this, if you believe me, you will do what I do. So I'm looking for my faith to actually look like something, physically. They thought that Paul was a god. Paul understood he was designed to be like God. Here's what I mean. Genesis chapter one tells us that we're made in the image of God, right? Are we all in agreement on that? Genesis, you want the verse? Okay, Genesis one verse 26 says, we are made in the image of God. The word for image in Hebrew is salem. Can you say that with me? Salem. This is the same word that is used to describe the golden statues of tumors, you heard me right, in 1 Samuel. Does anybody know that story, the golden tumor story? It is weird. It's very strange. You can read about it in 1 Samuel. But when talking about these golden tumors, these statues that have been created, uh, when talking about them, it says that they are salem of tumors. What were the golden tumors? You're like, where are we going? Hang on. What were the golden tumors? Well, they weren't real tumors. They were representations of the tumors. They were idols of the real thing. Were they not? Think about Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We are the Salem of God. We're not God, but we are idols that look like God. Take it up with the Hebrew, not me. <laughs> oh, jeez. Don't be tough on me tonight, guys. Not the night for it. See, we're not God, but God is called the King of Kings. Who are those kings? God is called the Lord of Lords. Who are those lords? We are supposed to be like God because that's how we were made. Salem. You're supposed to look like him. 
He was supposed to represent him in the same way that a statue represents the real thing. We are to be the statues of God representing the real thing while here on earth. Paul is like the statue in the museum that came to life. And the other statues think, he must be the statue maker. And he's like, no, I'm just alive. I'm just living. I find that often what stands in between where we are today and great impact isn't a lack of reality, but a disbelief in who we are. We're uncomfortable with Salem. That's just too high a bar. Can we not set it there? He said it there. It's in your nature to be the representation of God here on earth. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, and that has to look like something. It has to look like healing. It has to look like a supernatural change agent that's been dropped into a natural world and begins to color everything it touches. That's what you were designed for. So two thoughts as we end this evening. Two thoughts as we end this evening, thinking about Paul and thinking about how he got there. How was he able to do this? First, the importance of focus, of what we give our focus to. Paul was able to be a change agent in the circumstance he found himself in because he was focused on the voice and presence of God, simply put. I feel that today one of the greatest ways we can worship God is through what we choose to focus on. You want to worship him? Think about what you focus on. With so many competing visions of the good life and temptations to self-medicate, what we choose to look at, to host, to increase in our life is what we worship. What we choose, Jake and I, we have this kind of language for it. What I choose to feed is what I worship. And it determines what we will become. Maybe, I think these, right now in this season, these are the most convicting words of Jesus to me. He says this in Luke chapter eight, speaking of the parable of the sower who sowed seed on these different paths that, that represented the gospel going to different groups of people. He says this as he explained the parable. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. It's not that they don't get fruit. It's just it isn't very good fruit. I'm convicted by this. There's so many cares of this world, so many pleasures, so much riches that we have at our fingertips in a Western culture that threaten to cause us to never really mature our fruit to bear just enough fruit to be okay with our lives, but to never bear the fruit we were intended to bear. It's those who, with faith, who remain heavenly-minded, produce mature fruit. It's like, this this doesn't even really have to do with sin. Does God like pleasure? Yeah, he invented it. Are there things to be concerned about in his world? Yeah, he created us to care for his world. What this is about is disordered desire. And as believers, our job is to sort through the desires in conjunction with his Holy Spirit in partnership and go, I want to produce mature fruit. So God, would you sort me again? Would you sort me again? Secondly, 
my word to us, Saints Hill, is to pursue the gifts. And by that, I mean the spiritual gifts. Jesus says this in John chapter 20, verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them, being his disciples, and said, receive. Everybody say receive. Receive the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys understand that gifts are to be received? If it's a gift, it's something to be received. My daughter's first birthday's coming up in about a week, and we just got her a present, and we're gonna give her that gift, and I hope that she receives it. <laughs> She's certainly gonna receive the wrapping, that's for sure. She's gonna be interested in that. Gifts are to be received, okay. But Paul also says this in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire, everybody say desire, Gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Here's my question. How do you desire what you already have? It's a gift, right? They're gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> They're just what the Spirit does. He just gives you gifts. And then Paul's like, you should desire those gifts. You're like, I already have it. Hmm. I'm married. That's a gift. <laughs> How do I desire to be married? How, how does that work? To desire what you have is to pursue what you have, to increase what you have, to make what you have more real in your life through intention and, dare I say, practice. See, many are good with receiving the gifts of the Spirit. Hey, if you want to pour your gifts out, I'm open. That's even for some, hey, that's a step in the right direction. But very few people actually grow in gifts, pursue gifts, desire to increase the gifts in their life. See, the, the, the sovereignty of God will determine some of your life. It will. There's certain things that God has just ordained. This is what I'm doing in this person's life. This is when I'm doing it. Sovereignty of God. But as I think of Adam and Cain and Abram and Job and David and Deborah and the list goes on and on and on, I am struck with the truth that my hunger and what I long for plays a role in what I see. And I guess I just want to grow in faith again. I want to grow in the gifts again. I want to grow in my confidence in his ability again. Receive the Holy Spirit. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. I want to see the knowledge of God poured out on this church, that you would know things that nobody could have told you just by the Holy Spirit. I want to see the gift of prophecy. All should prophesy. Joel chapter two says, in the last days, all will prophesy. I'm reading about Jonathan Edwards right now and revival he saw in Northampton. Okay, remember John Jonathan Edwards? The like kind of conservative reformed guy? Yeah, he was like, all are prophesying. All are, have access to the knowledge of God and are sharing it. I want to see it again. I have to see it again in my lifetime. I want to see healing power. I want to see bodies that were broken made right. Why? You're like, why? Is that just to see cool stuff? No, 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 no. It's a sign that points to a greater reality. There's intimacy for people who have been broken emotionally when they get healed physically that they're open to, to meeting with God for maybe the, the first time. They are both gifts and they are things that we can pursue. So like Paul, let's pursue them again. Let's pursue them again. Let's grow in faith. Let's stand together.
I just want you guys, if you're um, comfortable, just put your hands out in front of you. This is a receiving posture, a posture. I wanna receive what you have for me. I wanna let go of whatever you don't have for me. Just put your hands out in front of you, and I wanna pray over you. I just declare that you are gonna have Paul-like lives. You are gonna be a change agent. Wherever you go, the kingdom also goes. Wherever you go, his presence extends into. You are the drop of color into a gray world. You are the person who has an answer when everybody else is afraid. You are the people who no longer fear death because of the resurrection. So I pray over you that you would receive angelic visitation. God, increase angelic visitation in our time and in our age. Give us dreams of you, God. Come and meet with us in our subconscious. Come and meet with our souls without us even comprehending what's going on. I just speak over you, Saint Sil, that you're gonna love the word of God. You're gonna love what he's written. You're gonna begin to hear from him. You're gonna sense him in your life. You're gonna begin to grow in faith. You're gonna see supernatural signs and wonders come through your life, just simply stepping out and choosing to to pray for the healing there, to share the word there, to be that person who is a blessing because you've been blessed. Holy Spirit, I just invite you right now to come and just to anoint us fresh, that your oil would overflow in our lives. Only, Only the individual knows where they need to be shored up. Only the individual knows where there's places of pain and places of fear and places of anxiety. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak to those things in only the way that you can? If this is new for you, it's totally fine. Just invite God. Just say, God, would you come and speak to me in my situation? Would you come and share what you think about me? Pay attention to your thoughts. What is he saying? Oftentimes he just brings things to mind that he's addressing, that he wants to speak to you about. Maybe for some of you, you were, there's a scripture that's just going through your mind right now. Maybe it was something I said and it's just, it's just on your mind. You can't get it off your mind. Just, you just go there with the Holy Spirit and say, okay, I'm open to you. And let's just be quiet before the Lord. to ask you for a fresh outpouring of your spirit. It's legal to ask for. He's given us his spirit, but there's multiple fillings. He filled the apostles and he filled the New Testament church many, many times. And so we just seek another filling, Lord, of your Holy Spirit. Maybe just say this with me. Holy Spirit, fill me again. Holy Spirit, fill me to overflow. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church. And the